And as we look at 2023, already a new year is upon us. And as I was thinking of the new year, I was thinking about how every morning that we wake up, we we really have a choice regarding what hope, what kind of hope we're going to embrace for the day. You know, when we're going through difficulty, sometimes it's even what hope are we going to look to, what hope are we going to even embrace for the moment? And every new year that we enter into, we look back on past experiences. And of course, just because there's a new year doesn't mean everything in the past is erased. Uh, but we, we look back on the, on the old year. We look forward to the unknowns. And we're going to be asking the same questions and making the same decisions that we do every day of our lives. Those type questions are, what's going to demand my attention? Whose voice am I going to listen to in the course of a 24-hour period? What mindset am I going to willingly put myself under? What treasures am I going to strive for? How am I going to to gauge what true success and growth in life is? And these aren't new questions. In fact, again, moment by moment, we're asking and answering these questions multiple times a day. And on top of that, life is often confusing. It's full of twists and it's full of turns. And some things are unexpected that come at us. And none of us know what the future holds, right? None of us know what 2023 holds. Some of us are hoping that 2023 was just like 2022. And others are hoping that it's not at all. But life is confusing. And the Christian life, as we live as as pilgrims and strangers in this world, life gets really confusing. And as we have, we're at the tail end, the last two chapters of 1 Corinthians 15. And as we have seen throughout this book, time and time again, we look at the church in Corinth, and nothing was simple about this church. Nothing. Yet the solution that Paul keeps presenting to to the many issues that this church is dealing with, the solution at its core was indeed rather simple. I want us, if you're in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, just to to jump back to chapter 1. And I think as we begin to wrap up the book of 1 Corinthians, it's, it's really... Good for us to look back to Paul's opening words in this letter. Talking about the needed solution for the the multiplicity of issues that this church was going through. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 to 9, the opening of his letter, he begins with the most basic yet the most profound words we will ever hear. Paul begins with gospel truth. 
He says in verse 1, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes. Look how he describes this church. And as we're reading this, think about just all the things that we've talked about, all the struggles of this church. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Notice verse 7, again, in the context of all of these issues. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, look at this hope. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, that is gospel hope. That is the, the truth of the gospel. Jesus Christ, as we're going to look at in, in chapter 15, Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, risen, and the outworkings of that in our everyday life. You see, when we have this hope, even amidst the messiness of life, the messiness of this church, there was never a lack of hope. You see, the gospel is our basis. The gospel is our foundation for every life issue we will ever encounter. You need to, we need to get that in our heads. The gospel is the foundation. It's the basis. It's the basis of our hope, the basis of our comfort for every issue we will ever encounter in life. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that there's not things we have to work through, that there are not practical um, solutions and, and things that, that we are, are inputting into the everyday of life, working through very complex issues. But without the gospel, there is no hope. If all of your problems were to just disappear with no gospel, there's no hope. See, the good news of the gospel is the core, it is the foundation, it is the basis out of which we are to live our lives no matter what age we are. Man, whether we're eight years old, whether we're 10 years old and we're a follower of Jesus and we're struggling with our school subjects, or whether we're 85 years old and we're bedridden in a nursing home, the gospel provides hope for us. 
So the Corinthians' main problem was that they had forgotten the reality and the sufficiency of the gospel. They, in a sense, they had moved past the gospel. They started to view the gospel as yesterday's comfort and maybe tomorrow's ideal, but it has no practical significance to today. They moved past the gospel And therefore, they got off track in a multitude of ways. As we have seen throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. They had, as our series is subtitled, they had forgotten the basics. Chapter 15 that we're going to look at over the next several weeks shows us just how far they had gotten away from the pure message of the gospel. I mean, now there's, there, there's, there's a doubt as to whether the, the resurrection of Christ and, and a physical resurrection of, 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 of believers is, is really a reality. I mean, they're seriously struggling with that. It just shows how far off they had gotten. It's no wonder if they had lost such hope That there was division in the church. That there was a me mentality. I want to be brought to the forefront. I want my opinions and thoughts to be heard and recognized. There was ugliness to one another. They were even excusing the grossest of sins that that Paul says in chapter 5 that even the culture wouldn't accept. But they were doing it in the name of grace. Satan was having his way with this church. And when you take down all of the exterior, it goes down to a fundamental neglect of the truth of the gospel. They had forgotten the basics. And they were dealing with the consequences. You know, we as a church, we can forget the basics. Why is it that we gather? It is to exalt the name of Jesus Christ amongst one another in our community and to worship him as Lord and Savior. But can't churches get off track from that? In divisions and different things start creeping in. And before you know it, Jesus is on the back burner. So as we seek to head into this new year, I think studying chapter 15 together, it's one of the most relevant things that we can do as a local church. We look at the resurrection of Christ and the hope that, that it is the resurrection of Christ that has brought in the new. You talk about something new, a new year. The resurrection brings in the new creation. And over the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the hope of the gospel. We're going to divide chapter 15 into five key realities regarding the hope of the gospel and the implication of that hope for our lives. And we're going to see once again that if we are to 
keep in mind the basics. The key principle throughout this entire series has been that we must cling to what truly matters. And what's really emphasized in chapter 15 is of what truly matters, the basics, is that the gospel is a hope-filled message that should produce hope-filled people. Where's your hope today? Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, as we come to this lengthy and oh-so-powerful chapter, Lord, it's a chapter that many of us have memorized verses from. Lord, it's a chapter that has been preached on, and rightly so, many times. And Lord, sometimes familiarity breeds kind of apathy. But Lord, would you stir within us eyes of faith? Would you stir within us, Lord, a hope that is grounded not in ourselves, not in our circumstances, not in our surroundings, but in the reality of Jesus and all that he has accomplished. The reality that we serve a living Savior and you are at work in our hearts until that day, as 1 Corinthians talks about, that you come back again. So Lord, we just want to dedicate our time today. Would you give us attentive minds? Would you give us open hearts? Would you help us to respond to the truths that we hear? In Jesus' name, amen. The first hope of the gospel that we have to cling to in our lives, the first reality of our hope is found in verses 1 to 11. We're not going to get through all of these verses this morning, uh, but we are going to begin to look at this. The first hope that we are going to focus our attention on is that the hope of the gospel, this may seem like a no-brainer, but it is oh so hard for us to get into our hearts and to live. The hope of the gospel is rooted in Christ. Theologically, that's a truth that we would readily agree to, but I think in everyday living, in our practical everyday lives, it is a truth that many, uh, that many times in our life seems ever so elusive. Because if I'm truly honest, and I think if you're truly honest, we don't often find our hope in Christ. And maybe that's because we even serve a very small Christ. We have so limited Christ to the fringes of our lives that he's become so small in our lives that we think, how could I find hope in the person of Christ that I have come to believe in? But I want us to look this morning at the reality that our hope is in Christ from two different angles. We're going to really focus on the first angle this morning. We're going to focus on the second angle uh, next week. The fact that our hope, the hope of the gospel is rooted in Christ, 
it is evidenced in two ways. It's evidenced, number one, from verses one to two, in an internal reality. Something internal has happened to us. But, but internal alone does not really mean a whole lot. In fact, I've heard people even in ministry many times say, well, Pastor Adam, you know, I, I've prayed about this, and I just feel like this is what I should do. But th- there's no external um, uh, uh, approval or on that. And it's like, well, actually, that's not really that biblical. Internal reality must also be matched with an external confidence. Because we can all believe a bunch of different things internally. You know the, the, the current phrase of the day, what's your truth? Here's my truth. Well, really, is truth up to the individual? No, there is an internal reality that definitely happens, but there is also an external confidence that the internal is true. And I want us this morning to really focus our attention in this internal reality. Let's read verses 1 and 2 together. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. What we see Paul talking about here, as we kind of unpack this internal reality, that the gospel does indeed do something to us internally. Verse 1 explains to us the reception of the gospel. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand. This is receiving the gospel. They they heard the gospel, they received the gospel, and now they're living in the gospel. And I want to emphasize three aspects of this reception of the gospel. You see, our reception of the, of the gospel and our living in the gospel, it first of all involves the mind. In fact, Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers. I want to call this up in your memory. Now what's interesting is that this word remind, when it's used in other places in the New Testament, it has the idea to make something known. It doesn't necessarily have the idea all the time that he's bringing back truth that they already know. It can also be used that I am proclaiming something to you. And in Acts 18, the gospel was originally made known to the church in Corinth. You read Acts 18, that's the founding of this church in Corinth. So why is there this nuance then that I don't simply want to make this known to you because you already know it, but I want to remind you of this? The significance is that Paul is reintroducing a theme, the message of the gospel, that they already know, 
but yet they need to know at a more fundamental level. I would say that's true of each of our lives sitting here today. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know the message of the gospel, but every day we must be reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel and living by faith in a greater way than we did yesterday. They already knew this, but Paul needed to remind them And we're going to see later in the book of 1 Corinthians that he's also adding insight into this knowledge of the gospel specifically concerning the resurrection and its implications. Don't ever let anyone say that, man, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're just going by blind faith. And we're going to talk about that with the external confidence. No, receiving the message of the gospel, it involves the mind. There's also another element of our senses that we see in receiving the gospel and in living out of the gospel. It's the ears. You got the mind, you got the ears. He says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. So this is the same message from Acts 18 that Paul proclaimed with his mouth that the believer, that, that the Corinthian um, church, they heard, it entered into their mind, they heard through their ears. Paul was not telling them anything different than what they've already heard. There were individuals within the church that were trying to distort the gospel, as we see in this chapter. But Paul says, I'm simply reminding you of that which I've already preached. You've already heard it. This is the fourth mention in 1 Corinthians of Paul preaching the gospel. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to just read for you. One of those instances is in chapter 1 and verse 17. There, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And get this. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul preached a seemingly foolish gospel that was not appealing to the wisdom of the culture. And should he try to make it appealing to the wisdom of the culture, the power of the gospel would be lost. And this is why we need to be reminded in our minds of the fundamental truth of the gospel that we have heard with our ears because it is so easy to go to other things because they appeal to the wisdom of culture, the wisdom of the flesh. And before you know it, we start veering off. Can I ask you, as we think about the ears, what we are listening to, what are you consistently, through the the mode of your ears, putting into your mind this morning? 
Maybe it's a bunch of podcasts. Maybe it's the news. Maybe it's movies. Maybe it's novels that aren't coming in through your ears but through your eyes. Maybe it's pop thought and cultural perspectives. And before you know it, we start filling through the the ear gate, we start filling our minds with all sorts of things that begin to distract us from the core truth of what really matters, the message of Christ. And then we wonder why we've started to lose our hope, why we've started to lose our focus, why we have started to veer off. I'm not one that's big for New Year's resolutions, but you know, I think that one big resolution that we should make in our individual lives, in the lives of our family, families, whether it's a new year or not, is that we need to be resolved to be more in God's word. Because what we are going to bring to memory are those things that we're constantly putting in front of ourselves. If you're relying on a a -a once-a-week sermon to fill you spiritually, man, you're going to be greatly lacking. Because think about the difference between a 45-minute sermon versus all of the other hours of filling yourself up with other things. What are we constantly allowing to enter into our minds? Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preach to you. That is what is going to produce life change. But then I want to look at a third element here, and that's the heart. Looked at the minds. I want to remind you, bring this to memory. What do you bring to memory? The gospel that I preach to you. I'm telling you the very same thing you heard with your ears um, back when you came to Christ. The message of the gospel does not change. Hallelujah. And Paul then says, guys, you have received this. You have made a commitment to Christ. You've come to him in repentance and faith. And yet now you're wavering. You see, Paul saying that you have received this, it indicates a favorable response to the gospel. It was embraced. It was something that that they were to hold to, to cling to. In fact, it says there... um, It also says, as we will be looking at in a moment, in which you stand. Can I ask you this morning, are you clinging to what you have already received? The Christian life, it is not just simply about some initial decision to follow Jesus. The Christian life is an everyday relationship with the Heavenly Father 
through which Jesus has made a way of access. And it is a continual clinging to him. Did you know that's why we observe the Lord's Supper? Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Because it is saying we are still clinging to what we initially put our everything in. All of our eggs are in one basket. And it is the person and work of Jesus. The internal reality is that there, if we are a follower of Jesus, we have received the gospel. What I want to look at next is how we are to cling to the gospel. So we've seen this internal reality. At the end of verse 1 and verse 2, I want to look at how that internal reality that the gospel has done a work in our life, how that then works itself out. Look at the end of verse 1. In which you stand, you stand in this gospel, and then verse 2, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What is the work of the gospel in our hearts? What is the work of salvation in our hearts? Many times, and, and none of this is new, uh, you know, we, we've, you've heard it before, speaking about the ears, and, and um, we've preached it before, but the, uh, the, the work of salvation, it's not a, a thing that is simply in the past. Yeah, God saved me, and, and, and that's a past thing. The work of the gospel is a past, a present, and a future work. The past element deals with the fact that we have, at a point in the past, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have received the message of the gospel. We're going to see what that is in verses 3 through 5 next week. There was a past work that the gospel was preached, as Paul mentions in verse 1. It was received... As Paul mentions in verse 1, there, there's a, there, the gospel brings about a call to response. Am I, what am I going to do with the gospel? Am I going to accept it or reject it? It was received. And at that point of reception, God, through Jesus, he's given us Jesus' righteousness. So there's a past work. Now the Corinthians had definitely swayed away from the gospel which they received. uh, And that's indicated throughout the book. But there's that past working of the gospel. And again, at the expense of being repetitive, I think it's so important. We have to cling to that work of the gospel that Jesus has started in our life. You know what Galatians chapter 1 and verse 9? I've been doing a lot of study lately in the book of Galatians. Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, again, there's that past 
work there, received, let him be accursed. There's a danger of adding to the gospel. There's a danger of distorting the gospel. And Paul again is saying, cling to what you have heard. We've made a past decision to follow Jesus. God has done a work of giving us instantaneously the complete righteousness of Jesus. But in our Christian life, there's also a present element of the working of the gospel as it works itself out in our lives. At the end of verse 2, it says, In which you stand. So everything that Paul has written in verse 1 until we get to that last phrase is dealing with the past. And now, in this last phrase of verse 1, we see the present in which you stand. In fact, this, this word stand, it's actually um, the way that it's used in, in the original languages is something that has happened in the past that has continuing results into the present. It's still working itself out. That we have aligned ourselves with Christ. We have been united to him. We are hidden in Christ And that is now the present day experience that we are living every day of our lives. Romans 5.2 says it this way, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 1 Peter 5 verse 12 At the end of the book, after all that Peter has said about suffering and about clinging to your true hope in Christ and what's going to come one day, he says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. You see, the gospel is doing a present day work in our life. And we are to cling to Christ, cling to those things that we have heard and that we have received and believed. We are to stand firm in the message of the gospel. We're not to waver. We are to not to seek to find contentment, not to seek to find assurance, security, in things that do not truly bring security at the end of the day. But then there's also this present future work of the gospel in our lives. In verse 2, it says, And by which you are being saved. Now again, this can be confusing as we, as we uh, read this that, well, am I saved or am I not saved? And the answer is, is that at the moment of salvation, we have complete security in our salvation, but God is do- also doing a saving work in our life. In the present day, Even right now, God is doing a salvation work in our lives. 
We are being saved from the deliverance. We are being delivered from the power of sin, from the presence of sin in our lives. Waiting for that day when Jesus Christ comes back again and he completes the perfect work that he started in us. Eternal life is not something that's simply a future concept. Jesus said this is eternal life that you know the Father who has sent me. We have eternal life bubbling up within us. The full expression of that eternal life is an eternity. So we are both saved and we are being saved. The, the work of the gospel is continuing to do a work in our life. So the gospel cannot be something that was yesterday's decision, but not for today. Because that gospel is working itself out in our hearts and lives. I want to end this morning as we look at this internal reality of the gospel that we have received the gospel. It has entered our minds, our hearts, our ears. It is doing a work. We've received him in the past. We are to stand firm in him in the present. We are being saved here in the present, looking towards the future when that work is complete. So as we are living in the here and the now, what is our calling? It's perseverance in this gospel. It says in verse 2, by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. There's that word preached again. Unless you believed in vain. We are to persevere, to cling to the message of Christ and Christ alone. Before we left for Florida, looking at, we were looking at Colossians 1, in a very similar verse, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that we've heard. We have the same concept here of clinging and persevering in the faith. You see, we must cling to the gospel. What's the exhortation here? The exhortation is holding fast. It's finding our security and our identity in one and only one person. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 14, same word is used. It says, for we have come to share in Christ. Man, what a, what a hope. But it says, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Hebrews 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, depending on your temperament, depending on your personality, you have to, 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 to nuance this, and I want to take a moment to explain this, that what we are talking about holding fast, it's not, we're not talking about a scrupulous introspection. That like, well, I did this. Does that mean I'm not clinging to the gospel? Or, 
whoa, I had this doubt. Does that mean I'm not clinging to it? We're not talking about that. What we are talking about is not a scrupulous introspection, but a hope that what we hold is true, we can continue in that confidence firm to the end. We need not look elsewhere for hope. That we see what Jesus has done for us and we see that there is salvation in no one else. And we have turned from self and we have turned to Christ and we are clinging to him. Those who are saved by God's grace will continue in God's grace, not in our own strength, but by God's grace. So it, this is a warning that Paul is giving these Corinthian, believer, uh, these Corinthian believers because they are tottering on abandoning truth. So what's the, if we see the exhortation, cling to Christ, when in reality it's, it's, it's Christ that's clinging to us, What's the danger? Well, the warning implies that there's, there are those who will not hold fast to Christ. There's a popular term today called Christian deconstructionism. People that kind of say, well, I've been taught this all my life. I'm reevaluating everything and I'm basically abandoning the faith. This is a warning to that. This is not saying, you know, I've been taught things in the Christian life and I'm beginning to really see what Scripture has to say and I see some of the things I've been taught aren't what the Bible says. So I'm um, like the Galatians. I, I need to get away from that law and look solely to Christ. No, that, that's a good deconstructionism. We're talking about abandoning Christ. That those who have abandoned Christ were never truly His at all in the first place. And I think that we would not be preaching the full counsel of God's word if we do not take these warnings seriously. We're not talking about even the fact that one can lose the salvation that they truly have uh, truly possessed. But that those who have truly been saved will continue in the faith. There may be moments of struggle and moments of doubts, but Jesus said, all that the Father has given to me, I have lost none of them. Isn't that a comfort? Think of the, the soils of the heart. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus gives a parable of the soils. You're very familiar with it. There were four types of soils that were, Jesus gave as an illustration. Now, sometimes people will teach these four different soils, that they're four different soils, that maybe the first one's an unbeliever, but the other three are believers. I, I only see one, heart, one soil that's that of a believer. By impl we can make application to believers, but Jesus is talking about our hearts. He gives the first example of a path, a roadway. And, and anytime there's a path, 
in the ground, what, what happens? It becomes very hard soil. You can't, you can't penetrate that ground because it's like hardened clay. And he said, for some, the message of the gospel, the seed goes out and it lands on very hardened soil and it never penetrates into the ground. And the birds of the air, they come and they just eat away the seed. Then Jesus talks about a second type of soil, a rocky soil. And because of the rocks, there's no moisture or roots, Jesus says. So the, the seed It seems to have been received and it quickly sprouts, but then it dies off because, man, the heart was was never really Christ. There was initial reception, but the seed quickly dies. And haven't we seen that in individuals' lives? And then there's a a thorny soil. And because there's thorns in that soil, the, the, the seed sprouts But the thorns choke out the seed, the plant, and it too dies. But then Jesus talks about a good soil. The gospel goes on good soil. And it's interesting that the verse isn't on the overhead, but this same word, hold fast, that we have in our text is in Luke 8.15. He says, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Folks, as we look to 2023, the Christian life is not just this quick experience that, you know, every day is just this mountaintop experience. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here because none of us think that. I mean, you just have to live life to know that's not true. The Christian life is full of routine, it's full of difficulty, it's full of trial, it's full of, it is full of blessings, and it is full of goodness, and, and uh, deepening our relationship with him. But there's those dry periods, those difficult periods. Through all of it, the thick and the thin, do you know what our calling as believers simply is? Cling to Christ. Look to him. That's what we see in what Jesus says. With an honest and good heart, bearing fruit with patience. The Christian life takes perseverance and patience. And in the end, it's all God. Paul says, it is God who who works within me, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's not up to us. But we must constantly remind ourselves just like Paul tells the Corinthian church here remind yourself of what is true remind yourself of what you've received because there is a devil who is who is prowling about seeking whom he may devour so we're given a reminder at the end of verse 2 he says unless you believed in vain If someone turns from Christ, what they basically are saying is, you know what, all of this was for nothing. It was no good. I need to find another way. But folks, as we're going to see, and Paul repeatedly gives us, the hope of the gospel is not in vain. It is true. It is at work. 
It is both a present reality and a future hope. Let's cling to it. In 2023, cling to the hope of the gospel.